Welcome to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you haven't joined us before, we're passionate about all things internal medicine and helping you become the best tech you can be. We'll be discussing interesting internal medicine diseases, how to work closely with pet parents, and how to become the go-to tech in your practice. Now, let's start the show. And welcome back to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. I hope everybody is doing well. And thank you so much for listening and making a commitment to learning. I am one of your hosts. I am Jordan Porter, joined again, finally. I feel like you've been like in and out uh, (laughs) of the episodes because like I've been like getting all these guests on the show and stuff. And so like it it hasn't. I know. I'm like, what do you mean? I haven't been there. And I'm like, oh, wait, I haven't been there for some of them. Yeah. You and I still talk just as often, but (laughs) (laughs) yeah, (laughs) but I've been doing things like without you, which is weird. And I'm not sure how I feel about it. Like the (laughs) guests that we've had on have been like amazing. Like every time I finish recording one of those episodes, I'm like, this is great. Um, I know. I'm very excited for them to go live too. Did you listen to last week's episode yet? I have not. I was thinking about, I was going to listen to it yesterday on my six hour drive to the California Bay Area, but um I listened to Harry Potter <laughs> I mean that's my hard husband to. was in the car with me, so I just didn't even think about it. Like I had downloaded it and everything and I was planning on it, but then I did. It's a good one. Like it's one like I got Audrey cheering in that one and I like nice. I was pumped after it. And so this is the uh, one with Brian, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I have to listen to it because I know um, we've recorded two with them. Right? Yes. So we get Brian again sure next week. Yep. Perfect. Yeah. Because I was in that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I gotta listen to it. I gotta listen to the first one. Yeah. It's. I was super excited for the episode I recorded with you guys. So I just. It's going, it's going to be amazing. Um, you and I haven't touched base though, since you told me you were going to go look at some baby donkeys. So yes, I'm going to ask you <laughs> while we are recording. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. It's so fun. Uh, we, so in Southern Oregon, which is now where we're living, um, I just like looked for mini donkeys because Jordan's like, you should get a mini donkey. And I was like, well, I'm not opposed to it. <laughs> of course. So, I mean, like, it would be. <laughs> right. So we found this. Um, she's actually a breeder in the city that like we live in. Um, and they have a website and everything. And she's like, just give us a call and come by and say hi. And so we we're like, oh, okay. Um, so we called her and she was super, super nice super knowledgeable like it was crazy I was like oh okay um it, she's definitely like one of those super reputable breeders you know mm-hmm. of whether it's dogs cats horses whatever it is um and she was talking about like the breed standards and just you know all the stuff that you go oh you actually know what you're doing yeah 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 <laughs> versus- exactly Versus you know, how I bought rescue. my donkey off of Craigslist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, it was so much fun. Like she has, she has like almost 20 mini donkeys on her property. She has four babies that are like three months old and they were so cute and adorable. 
and we spent, I don't know, I, think, I feel like we spent like an hour there just hanging out with them, petting them, talking to her about stuff. Um, you know, she's she doesn't have anybody up for, for sale at the moment, but she's like, maybe in a couple months, and we're like, okay, no problem. And it was crazy because, like, during that conversation, you know, she's like, I visit the place that they're going to because I just want to make sure that you know, it's a place. And I was like, oh, man, that's totally makes sense. And, uh, and one of the things she said, she's like, like, and I, and everybody has to have like a livestock trailer. And I looked at my husband and I was like, and she's like, because I need to make sure that if there's a wildfire, like, you can take your animals and go. And I went, oh <laughs> yeah that makes more sense see like i've gotten away with yeah. not having a horse trailer like we it's on the list of purchases it's just like not up high on the list <laughs> um i mean but i don't have wildfires around me knock on wood yeah i mean it, it, and that was the thing like prior to that i was like oh we could just like you know figure something out and i was like oh we'll just have like you know the vet come around here blah 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 but then when she said that, I was like, oh my God, we really do have to do something. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely whatever. do. Because we, we considered getting one last summer when a hurricane was supposed to be coming up this way. But oh, we no. live like far enough inland that for us to get evacuated from a hurricane would be strange. Like right, right. when I was living near Hilton Head, like they always You were said super it, close before. Well, yeah. <laughs> because like, <laughs> so they base it off of the main, like one of the main highways, Highway 95. And so if you live on one side of Highway 95, everybody up to 95 needs to evacuate. Everybody on the other side of 95 doesn't need to. So now I, I literally live like <laughs> not that far on the other side That's of 95. So funny. <laughs> You're like, I'm like 20 feet from the freeway, but it's fine. <laughs> I mean, more than 20 feet. But yeah, basically, yeah, but, essentially what know. it is. And That's it's so crazy. funny because like my best friend. I have to cross over 95 to get to her house and she lives just on the other side of 95. I was like, you do realize that you would technically be in an evacuation zone and I wouldn't be. And so, Oh my gosh, that's crazy. Yeah. So yeah, uh, you definitely need a horse trailer though. Yeah. It, it, well, and so we, we bought one this weekend. Oh my God. Okay. I thought you were going to be like, we're going to consider this a little bit more. <laughs> we bought one. Well, cause I was like, just looking, I was looking to see how much they were. And first of all, Holy crap, they're expensive. Um, so we I found one on Craigslist. Girl, I'll send you pictures. It is it it needs a lot, a lot of love. It is yeah. very rusty. Those are it the is, ones that we're looking at too. And we're like, yeah. you know, it just needs to carry a mini donkey and some goats. Yeah. And like and I was like, this is like an emergency situation only right now. Yeah. yeah so we have one and it needs a ton of work but ours is strictly, <laughs> I'm like well technically we have one <laughs> ours is strictly for when we up and find our hundred acres to move to and we just move <laughs> like, yeah. but I'm also I mean everybody knows this I'm not above putting goats in my car it's just the donkey is definitely a little bit harder yeah yeah I mean I I don't I mean in an emergency situation a hundred percent I would throw them in our car if I needed to like that's not a that's not up for debate, but I was like, oh, if we get multiple things, like, oh. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah. Like, there's no way I could get s'mores anywhere if something were to happen right now. But. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, yeah. So this is, uh, you know, life's happening. But, uh, yeah, we're and we're getting ready for the goats that are supposed to come uh, in 
three weeks, I think is when we decided we're going to have a trip to the house. Answer this question for me. Yeah. Yeah. Am I a bad influence? Because you're the second person that I've talked to, like, that since I moved to property, like you and my parents have both moved to a significant amount of property. And you and my parents have both like immediately gotten goats and chickens and they're talking about donkeys and stuff. And no, so- I don't <laughs> I don't think you're a bad influence. I think we've been we've been talking about getting out of California and having property for um Yeah. It's just funny that I mean, it all honestly seems to like, all happen at the same time. It cracks me up. Well, I mean there's a lot of space and like you know it's kind of weird not having anything on the property um, I know and I honestly like they're the bad influence they were like we have these goats for Sam's you want and I was like no and I resisted for months and then finally I looked at Kevin and I was like oh yeah I, originally the plan and then the goats but I think with how the property is set up we're actually better set up to get the or not the donkeys. Oh my God. I meant goats. I don't know what I said, but I meant goats. Um, we're better set up for the goats to start, which is weird that we're better set up for that than the chickens. Like we need to build the chickens. Well, it's fine. We'll get there eventually. Chickens are definitely a little bit more fragile though than like goats. And like, <laughs> they do need a place to sleep and stuff in order to like not be picked off by coyotes and foxes and hawks and owls and all the yeah. lovely I mean, things that love to eat them. Yeah. Well, and like the goats, like because the dog, like because the dog kennels used to be like stable, I think that's why it's easier to just like convert the space back for them. Oh, absolutely. Because they already have a shelter. Like you already have a built in shelter. And uh, with your woods and stuff, like you need some significant shelter for chickens. Oh, yeah. yeah. We're building. We're, we're building them a house, essentially. Yeah, considering so, your bear I saw. Uh, <laughs> I think... Yeah, the bear and the nightly fox visit that we have. Yeah. 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 I don't have the... I have snakes and hawks. We, we have hawks and all sorts of birds of prey. 100% we have that. I saw... So I have to figure out how to recently a mississippi kite was like living in my front tree and i thought it was like around because i thought it was trying to pick off my baby chicks and stuff like that but turns out those things just eat dragonflies and we've had tons of dragonflies i mean they eat flying bugs mostly they do eat small birds and stuff but um we've had so many like caterpillars and uh dragonflies and stuff around here that i was like oh they're probably here for that then Because we have like a whole family of them living in our front tree. Anyway, well, as we still discuss our farm life on this podcast, instead of making a (laughs) homesteading podcast, Yvonne, uh, (laughs) let's let's get into this week's episode. So um, this week, we're going to be touching on just quality of life and how we can kind of have those conversations with clients and how that mod- well how that should modify our care towards a patient and what what's the the line that we need to cross to determine hey now we're doing like palliative or hospice care or end of life care versus like treatment like true treatment and so i this episode's going to be based off some guidelines from aha actually they have a wonderful end of life toolkit that i recommend everybody 
review and maybe have in your clinic and just have everybody review because it's great. We're going to touch on a lot of those, those things. And I'll share the show notes, obviously, um, with this link as well. But we're for the sake of this episode, we're going to be talking about mostly like hospice and palliative care, which feels like it goes <laughs> almost against kind of like internal medicine a little bit. Um, in the sense that like, typically this it does, is, but it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. Like it does, like in the sense that like, this is the part where we're going to maybe try to just keep pets comfortable, but we're not aiming to treat anything other than comfort. Um, and so anyway, so there is a criteria for kind of putting patients in hospice or palliative care. And typically they need to have one or more of the following conditions to kind of fall into these categories, right? So we're gonna either be dealing with a chronic progressive disease such as like end-stage renal disease, um, debilitating osteoarthritis. So not just like we have a rough day, but then we're fine. Um, Congestive heart failure. So again, chronic uh, progressive diseases and terminal diagnoses obviously fall on this list as well. Uh, progressive undiagnosed disease, chronic disability, um, or even terminal geriatric status. So just kind of end end of life, wasting away, failure to thrive, kind of wherever you want to throw that. Like Dolce was a 20-year-old, like my dog. (laughs) She was an end of life, didn't really have, like she had seizures, but like they never really like amounted to anything. She was truly just one of those old dogs that I had to wait until she reached a certain point that I was like, okay, I think we've, I think we've had enough bad days to our good days that I can justify this. But otherwise there was really nothing else wrong with her. So um, just to kind of throw out an example of like what we're talking about, but basically why we kind of want to learn about this type of care is because it's a team effort, right? Just like everything in vet med. So it's helpful to try to put patients into um, a category to try to help come up with a palliative or hospice care plan. And so these categories can fall into like a diagnosis of that life-limiting disease. So like um, say they are an end-stage renal failure, right? Or end-stage congestive heart failure. Uh, There's a decision to not pursue diagnosis or curative treatment. That happens a lot. So that is definitely one of the categories that is very common in vet med. Um, Curative treatment has failed. So maybe the client has tried to help the patient, like say ITP or IMHA, and we've tried everything and things just aren't working. Um, Signs of chronic illness that interfere with normal routine or quality of life. So just those typically old dogs, I think of labs with like Larpar and significant arthritis that I'm just like, okay, (laughs) the quality of life here is down. Um, and then progressive illnesses with complications. So that's where like you have that renal failure cat and then it goes into heart failure. Internal medicine patients. Yeah. Yeah. All those progressive illnesses with complications are Cushing's disease. It has a PTE for some reason. Um, so if we can try to put patients into these categories, then that's going to help us try to kind of develop a plan for our team to help treat these patients because just because someone chooses end of life or hospice care, it doesn't mean that we should write them off. And I feel, um, I feel like that kind of happens in vet med sometimes, unfortunately, and it's unfortunate. <laughs> oh, a hundred percent. 
you know it's just like just because like someone a can't afford treatment or is maxed out on treatment or like chooses to not pursue it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be there for them in the end so there's a, a few ways to try to develop a treatment plan first thing's going to be educating the client right this can fall on technicians we've talked about this a million times but educating the client about patient's disease that's why we started this podcast is so that every one of you listening can educate a client on the particular disease that their pet is battling so the more that we understand the disease progression, then obviously the better that we're going to be able to extend that to the client and hope, hopefully be able to allow them to cope with that diagnosis and that burden. And so um, this should include the discussion of uh, everything that we talk about on this podcast, right? So what's happening within the body? What diagnostic tools are we going to need? What are the treatment options? All treatment options, not assuming that someone can afford one thing over the other. So if it is renal failure and a renal transplant is on the list of treatment options, tell them, right? Like we don't need to assume that someone can't do one thing or the other. Um, and then we want to discuss with the client too different ways that we can kind of do things to ensure pets comfort. And then of course, this doesn't come from technicians or assistants or CSRs, but a realistic prognosis, right? Like if we've made it to this point, that doctor needs to have that conversation of a timeline essentially, right? Like we need like, and obviously we know that that's not always going to be easy <laughs> to come up with and it can vary, right. but Sometimes that conversation of prognosis just leads into what should that client be looking out for of signs of progression, right? And so those conversations definitely need to be had. The next step in developing a plan is we need to communicate with the client what the client's needs are of the pet, uh, what their beliefs are, and what their goals are for the pet, right? So again, everybody thinks a little bit differently and... I know it hurts a lot when people just say they want their pets to die at home. But if we have these type of conversations in clinic, we can kind of educate around how to do that in a less stressful or painful way or suffering way. Because like sometimes, unfortunately, that does happen. But sometimes a quiet, peaceful pass away at home is not always a bad thing, um, depending on the patient. So, uh, if we kind of talk with the right. client, a lot of things like this is a very, very emotional conversation that's going to happen right about now <laughs> when we talk about like the pet's needs, the owner's beliefs and the goals and things like that. So oftentimes we're going to get a strong emotional reaction from the owner. Like all of us have been in those positions, right? Like it, when it's our own pet, it's different. Like things feel different. And so we need to anticipate high emotion reactions and we need to respond to it by expressing empathy and then even consider setting up follow-up appointments to discuss end-of-life treatment options right this might need to be a step-by-step -step process it might need to be give diagnosis and educate about the disease once you've had time to process you might need to come back so we can discuss pet needs beliefs and goals for the pet right like if we've already determined hey they're not going to pursue treatment Take some time to process, come back in a few days. We're going to set you up with technician X and we're going to discuss how we're going to maintain Fluffy's quality of life until the end, right? We want to make sure that Fluffy's as comfortable as possible. And this also too gives time to the client to kind of come to terms with everything, right? So like 
we want the client to be very realistic. We want them to be accepting of this quote unquote treatment plan. And we want them to come back. We don't want them to just go home and feel like all hope is lost and that they just feed their dog steak forever until it dies at home. So um, once we kind of have those conversations determining goals and uh, what the most important things are for the pet, then we can start developing an end of life treatment plan. So an EO EOL plan. And so this should be detailed and then it should be given to the client as well. So that way they know exactly what's happening, right? And this can be, again, tech utilization where we write out things to look out for. What is, what is going to be signs of an emergency, urgent situation where medical intervention is needed, right? Versus what might happen at home that might be quiet and peaceful and that you can manage at home, right? So I think those are very, very important conversations because clients don't know what a stressful passing at home is compared to a peaceful passing at home. And so I, I think that's, um, it's going to be very important that we outline that plan for the client. And so a lot of these treatment plans should include um, like procedures that are based on like the client's willingness to participate. So whether that be sub-Q fluids or um, treadmill therapy, or, you know, like some of those like basic, just increasing that quality of life a little bit, just giving that little boost, maybe it's B12 injections, maybe it's, you know, a massage therapy or acupuncture, things like that. <clears throat> and then from there too, we can kind of assess the patient's willingness to receive care, right? Because like, some patients get a little old and crotchety um, and might not tolerate all this stuff. So if we start trying to do a few of these end of life treatments on this patient and it's causing them more stress or more anxiety, or maybe they're sore after and have a very hard time getting up and down after they've used a water treadmill, right? Maybe it's a little bit too much to them and we need to reassess. And we do that during this initial treatment plan part. And um, this is also going to include pets' willingness to eat, right? Um, willingness to have supplemental nutrition, whether that be like a feeding tube or syringe feeding, um, or if we need to add in an appetite stimulant to have on hand at home. Like we need to start assessing what the patient needs and how they respond to certain things. And again, this isn't typically, these shouldn't be conversations of here's some mirtazapine, keep it on hand. And then like, we don't ever follow back up. Like we need to be checking in on these patients. Hey, how's fluffy eating? Does the mirtazapine work when you give it? How often are you needing to give it? Should we try something else? Maybe we can come off the mirtazapine and try a different diet. You know, So there does need to be a lot more communication. <laughs> um, and then again, we, we kind of already talked on giving a plan to the client. So a written action plan, though, is going to be almost like that agreement that your client and your patient are going to participate, right? And this is just going to give like an estimated of time um, required to do things. So like sub-Q fluids, right? This should only take about 10 minutes for you and your cat to administer sub-Q fluids, and then your cat can go and eat and things like that. And then two, it wouldn't be bad as well to give an estimated, an estimate of cost just for things like follow-up, right? Um, or, hey, because we have your pet on some NSAIDs, we should probably check 
blood work, but we won't check it as frequently as we normally would if they were young and healthy and things like that. Uh, these are all hypothetical situations. <laughs> but, and then again, schedule that follow-up communication. And follow-up can even be via email or phone call if that client doesn't want to come in or if they don't want to bring the, the pet in. Um, or even if maybe the, just the client wants to come and say they have a wonderful pet journal at home that they can bring in and talk to the, the technician about and kind of discuss what's been going on at home. The technician can make copies of that, put it in the record, talk to the veterinarian and be like, hey, Fluffy doesn't seem to eat too well these past two weeks on such and such days when they get XYZ medications. Is there any other things that we could do? You know, things like that. So all of those are different ways that we can kind of just discuss an end of life plan. And then we have to implement it, right? So uh, a lot of end of life care should be implemented at home. So whatever we can teach that client to do at home to help care for their pet and increase that quality of life is going to be ideal. And especially increase in comfort. So sometimes for certain pets, this often falls along the lines of, Maybe adding yoga mats if you have a lot of wood flooring, learning, teaching your client how to sling a pet if they have significant arthritis issues, teaching them how to give B12 injections or sub-Q fluids, teaching them how to do things at home to increase comfort, whether that be softening food, warming it up, adding uh, additional supplements to it, um, or like I said, just those little toe grips that you can get to help increase their ability to walk and things like that. So after that first week of that initial treatment plan and the clients implemented it at, at home, at this stage, then usually the client's going to have questions for the veterinary team, and they might even reconsider whether or not the treatment plan was the right thing to do. So this is to be expected, right? Like we're, we should expect some pushback on, well, I don't know if the subcute fluids hurt or like maybe the needle's too big or things like that. So at this point, then we just continue the conversations, right? We tell them exactly what each of these things are doing to help promote your pet's life. So sub-Q fluids, right? We're increasing hydration. We're trying to flush out their kidneys. We're trying to give them that little boost that they need and reduce those toxins that are circulating to make them feel better. If you kind of review what your pet does after getting sub-Q fluids for that next 24 hours, see if those days tend to be better than the days that we don't receive sub-Q fluids, right? And if you're not noticing a significant difference, maybe we need to do something else. Maybe the sub-Q fluids, maybe we're not doing enough, or, you know, maybe, maybe there's something that needs to be changed. Um, there's other things that we can talk about too, like improving accessibility to food and water, right? So maybe we need to raise the dish. Maybe we need to add more water dishes around the house if they are in end of life renal failure. Um, maybe we need to change litter box, uh, litter or location. Maybe we need to add in some, maybe we need to change the design. Oftentimes, this is a very chaotic time of life for clients and pets as well, right? Because pets are like, oh, well, I'm just, I don't mean to pick on cats, but cats tend to be the picky ones, right? Where like, again, they become <laughs> nauseous and maybe they don't like this bowl now, or maybe they assume that this food was the reason why they got nauseous. And so they don't eat this or they don't eat their treats or, you know, maybe they had, maybe they vomited when they were going to the bathroom in the litter box. And so now they have reservations about this litter box being here. Animals can be finicky, but they can't tell us. So I think this is where we have those conversations with those clients of like, what are you seeing at home? Tell me what's happening. And again, pet journals are a great tool here. Even if it's just a simple notebook, 
Um, I will preface with like, try not to form helicopter parents because those parents who watch every single kibble their pet eats and then tries to document that, like, no, let your pet do your pet's thing, but try to be like aware kind of in the background that we're still eating or maybe this causes us some vomiting, but don't hover. Don't be standing over your cat and be like, you ate one kibble. Okay, now you ate two. Now you ate three. Like, don't do that. <laughs> like, we yeah. don't do that. <laughs> I was going to say the answer that that kind of goes with that is, is quality for the client because that is not a good quality of life for the client. Yep, yep, yep. And and have them take videos too. Like if they are concerned about a particular behavior, have them email those videos to the technician, right? But as veterinary staff though too, like I don't think we should be scared to tell clients like, hey, just take a step back. Like if we're hovering too much, sometimes that can hinder our care. And I know that can be kind of a hard conversation to have because like we don't want to tell people how to raise their children or their pets, but like take a step back. <laughs> like. And again, like Yvonne said, spin it in a way of like, hey, this is no quality of life for you. So like, we're, we're not trying to decrease your quality of life. We're trying to increase your pet's quality of life. So let's do X, Y, and Z to do that, right? Oftentimes, this is where we're going to come up with like, these clients are, are definitely going to be handled a little bit differently because unexpected things do tend to come up. And that should be like that should be known in a, in a client's record, right? Like whether we put an alert in that pa patient's chart, hey, hospice care, palliative care. When that client calls, like we need to have some sort of alert being like, no, this is urgent. Like this is, we need to have someone stop and talk to this client or this pet needs to come in. Like we need to be a little bit more on top of these type of situations just because it is end of life. And, and we really need to make sure that that care is as good as it can be. So oftentimes this falls into just compassionate con communication, right? Like I feel like in vet med, it's a little bit easy to kind of lose sight of compassion. I mean, we, we're going to talk about it, compassion fatigue, right? Like we get it and we get burnout. And so we tend to like lose our ability to show compassion or empathy. And I've done this, like I'm not blaming anybody. It is just the mode of this career, I guess, um, which I do think is on the upswing, but <laughs> like, it's still very emotional. And so we can kind of look at it in the sense of a pyramid. The pyramid is kind of like, there's a social aspect to it. So there's also an emotional aspect to it. And then there's a physical aspect to it. And so with the social aspect, that's the, the smallest tier of this pyramid. And so this is going to be a sense of like trying to reduce stress and we want to give that pet like a willingness to live. So like they do need to be social. And so that means like if that pet does benefit from going on a walk and seeing his buddies, like we can't, we can't remove that just because he's at end of life here like we can just do it in a safer manner but we shouldn't always just remove that right away and so we need to really try to meet these needs and then our emotional needs right so this is going to be engagement with family engagement with other pets stimulation nutrition mobility things like that so I guess Dolce is a good example 
um because like although she lives in a very social house she did start to like distance herself and it was it became very noticeable as she reached a certain age that she wouldn't get up on the couch and sit with me or like she would go in a separate bedroom and just kind of sleep by herself and so I would physically go and pick her up and bring her and sit her on the couch with me just so she could be social and so she'd still get pets and loving and just kind of that engagement with me that had slowly kind of fallen off as she aged and and so I think kind of trying to discuss with clients like hey this like I understand that your dog is probably doing different behaviors right now or your cat is doing different behaviors right now maybe your cat's hiding right so how can we alleviate some of that emotional burden and try to bring that cat back and give mental stimulation um, or engagement with the family member or other pets Sometimes it's the opposite. Sometimes your pet who's at the end of life wants nothing to do with other pets. And so if that's the case, then we try to find ways to work around that. So sometimes it is like a Dolce wasn't a fan of Finn in particular. I mean, like she didn't, she wasn't like upset with him, but come on, Finn's a lot. And so like she would specifically like distance herself whenever Finn was around because he was just so much energy that she was like, holy crap, like I can't do this. And so those were the times that like, if I could sense that she just didn't want to be there, like I would just, all right, you go do you, you know? So, and then there's the physical aspect and this is the big part, right? This is where we're going to be. This is, this falls on the vet med team. So this is pain management, management of clinical signs. So if we're showing nausea or we need increased appetite, uh, hygiene, right? So we definitely need to still tend to those needs. And so on the pyramid, the physical aspect is definitely going to be the biggest because this is this is what's going to take more work. This is going to be the thing that makes a client feel like they are actually doing something besides just sitting with their pet on the couch, petting them. So <laughs> it is pretty important. And then when it comes to physical care, right? So we talk about pain management. So we want to anticipate pain. We want to prevent pain. We want to control pain and we want to regularly monitor, monitor pain. Um, multimodal pain relief. Fair. I was gonna say, this is where those Glasgow pain scores are huge. You can send them home with the clients and they can use them at home because otherwise, I don't know why, but clients don't think living means that their pets are painful. So giving them the like, if you see these things, you know, they're, they're probably painful. We need to do something. Yeah, absolutely. And we should use multimodal pain relief, right? Like we lowest effective dose right like we're not trying to cure anything we're just trying to increase comfort so like if we can get away with not giving that NSAID every day let's do it let's just try to give it as needed if we can um but Yvonne's right and having that conversation of like what to what signs to look for again a journal people uh <laughs> can help us to guide a client into being like well hey I see that fluffy um was a little bit slow to get around on Tuesday and that they just seemed a little less active. Do you think there's a chance that Fluffy could have been painful at all? Right. So it just opens the conversation. Um, then we can kind of go into environmental modifications, which we kind of talked about already. So adding yoga mats or some sort of grip to the floor, uh, adding extra bedding, um, dietary management so we can do things like changing up the diet which we frequently do gentle handling techniques again this isn't just for vet med it's also for clients as well so try not to I don't know anybody who picks up their cat by the scruff and like puts them on something but like who knows right <laughs> like 
Um, oh my God. But yeah. gentle handling techniques, like, hey, if your old lab is having a hard time on his walk, don't pull. Like, just maybe get a sling, bring a sling with you and help him along. So things like that. Um, I think it's also super important to to make clients aware of potential complications that can happen at home. We kind of touched on it a little bit, like signs that they need to look out for for progression. But we also need to keep an eye out for um, like local infections. Are they showing signs of a UTI because maybe they don't get up very often? Maybe they're a little overweight and can't clean themselves. Maybe we need to have mom and dad, you know, wipe with baby wipes after they urinate. Um, maybe they're starting to get pressure sores. So maybe we need to talk to the client about increasing the padding on their bedding and stuff. Or, I mean, every, I feel like almost every house or every clinic has had one of those clients who comes in there like, yeah, my lab, like I try to get them to lay on beds, but they just lay on the hard floor instead. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, like I've been there for sure. So it's, it's just kind of having those conversations. And then of course, like dental health is still important at this stage too, right? These teeth get rotten. And if we're already battling a disease, then we might be more susceptible to other infections such as uh, tooth root infections and things like that. So I think it is really important to still try to do the, the standard maintenance that we should do, but sometimes we might need to increase that towards this end of life care. Um, Again, maintaining hy hygiene and assessing elimination status so making sure that the pet's still urinating, defecating. We need to make sure that uh, the pet's still um, having a nice body condition assessment, that the client is monitoring their dietary habits each day, and hopefully feeding a balanced nutrition, adequate food intake, and maintaining good hydration. It is often like we know that oftentimes these pets are gradually losing their appetite. <laughs> so um, yeah. we, we can kind of assume that, but it is helpful to still try to keep tabs. What, whether that be just your client sending you a picture of the cat's full body or dog's full body each week to assess, Hey, are we losing? Maybe they get a scale at home. If it's a small enough pet to have a baby scale, things like that, just so we can really monitor progression of things. Um, <clears throat> we talked already about increasing motility and like I said, laying down yoga mats, but maybe this might just mean getting maybe smaller walls on a litter box, right? Like if your arthritic cat can't climb up into it, um, things like that we can teach. I don't know why I didn't think about this prior to this, but we can teach range of motion, like passive range of motion for clients and massage techniques, right? And, and maybe even get them in with a rehab person who could kind of teach those things at home or go to their home and do that for them. Um, so there's definitely a lot of things. We touched on social well-being a little bit, but we, I want to kind of dig a little bit deeper into that because the, we really want to avoid like isolation if we can. So we want to avoid those like long periods of time where a pet is isolated because they really do need that socialization. And I think about like, when my grandma had cancer and she was like in a nursing home, she said she was like so lonely <laughs> because like, despite like the nursing staff and stuff being there, like it wasn't people that she was like comfortable with. And so like, I think it's probably pretty big and like human as humans get older and get into that mode, like socialization is pretty key <laughs> in maintaining just yeah. happiness and mental health. Yeah. And I think of like with my cat, 
it, it was hard because the young kittens were kind of picking on him a little bit because they didn't realize. Um, and so I had him with my mom's cat in our in my she shack. Yeah. Um, which was, I mean, during the day it was great because he just hung out with me. And but I, I always like, but they had each other. So and like they used to live with each other. So it was that weird. Like okay, just making sure like socially he was okay yeah um so yeah that's definitely it's definitely things to think about if you've got multiple pets you know it is because yeah like you said though it could could go the other way where like younger ones might see like a high hierarchy change like my chickens do this frequently like it's called a pecking order for a reason like with chickens for sure and so, mm-hmm. like, this happens in animals, too. Like, Dolce was head honcho for a hot minute up until, like, <laughs> Finn and them came in. And so you do want to monitor for things like that where maybe the other cats are picking on him because they don't know he's old. Or maybe they are just being like, ah, you're old. <laughs> like, my turn. Right. And so it's like you might need to remove pets from situations like that. But doing kind of along the lines what Yvonne did, like, still try to put them into a different social situation safely, Right. And so that's mm-hmm. going to be key in just trying to maintain their their mental health. And I don't think we think about that enough in vet med <laughs> is that pets' mental health actually does yeah. play a key in their ability to heal or uh, live. And so we really want to avoid isolation. We also want to offer stimulation too. So again, getting them that social aspect will also offer mental stimulation. And then it'll allow them to try to kind of develop some enrichment and play and things like that. Although they might not play for longer than 30 seconds, like it's still there. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. They, they still have well, it. Well, and I think people forget. Yeah. I think people forget that play out. Like just because they're old doesn't mean that they won't play. You just have to find something that they, that'll stimulate them. Um, it, and it may be totally different when, than what they used to do, right? Like they maybe aren't running after a ball or chasing the cat, but, you know, get, still giving them something to interact with. Yeah, exactly. And I think too, like, we definitely don't think about this in vet med because like, but we need to like, pets have dignity, right? Like I know Zara, yeah. like when she gets to the point where she starts having accidents in the house, she is going to feel so much shame that like yeah. she, we need to try to minimize that right like if you have a well-trained pet who's just phenomenal has not <laughs> I sound like every fine <laughs> my dog hasn't peed in the house or had an accident since we were four weeks old like not possible but whatever <laughs> um once we reach a certain age that might cause them stress if they're having accidents in the house right because they know it's wrong and they know they've never used to do that right now they can't control it so if we as veterinary professionals talk to clients or as clients ourselves kind of try to minimize those mistakes that happen like accidents in the house then we can also try to like reduce that stress that those pets feel and same thing with like what if we're incontinent right so we can help that pet and the clients can help that pet and maintaining hygiene and it's not the dog's fault like it it happens and diapers aren't always the best but if you have a client who's going to be really on top of it then maybe diapers are the way to go but having those conversations about why diapers might be a hindrance or why they might uh 
increase infections and things like that, but like mm-hmm. helping those clients to maintain hygiene, just so those pets can feel as normal as they possibly can in the end, right? They're already stressed out about the fact that they are having accidents or that they're dirty or that they smell or that they can't reach and clean themselves. So we 